Welcome to the Science Witch Podcast, where we explore how science and witchcraft intersect, interact, and affirm one another. I'm your co-host, Angel. And I'm your co-host, Angu, and this is our 33rd episode. For this episode, we talked about astrology and wanted to go into a bit more depth as a companion to the Wild Witches episode, Astrology 101, which we did back in December and which we'll link below in the show notes. But before we get to the episode, we wanted to let our listeners know about a really exciting event coming up pretty soon. That's right. We wanted to tell everyone about So Moat That Con being put on by our sister podcast, That Witch Life. This is their second virtual conference on living as a witch in today's world. So Moat That Con is happening October 15th and 16th, and it's going to be phenomenal. Join us from anywhere in the world for incredible workshops, a bunch of badass raffle prizes, rituals led by Kanani Soleil, Courtney Weber, and Hillary Whitmore, and a lot more. So Moat That Con will have a live question and answer session with Ruth Connell, aka Rowena, from the show Supernatural. Other presenters will include listener favorites, including Heather Augusta, Taverlene Angerlin, Phoenix Coffin Williams, Rosa Cran, Storm Fairy Wolf, Lisa Jade, Chawan Ku, Orla Mixie Costello, Thomas Prower, Papa Hector Salva, Hillary, and Courtney. So if you can't join the con live, don't worry. Everything will be recorded and sent to all registrants after the event. You can get your tickets for So Mote That Con at thatwitchlife.com. And Inku and I will both be in attendance. We're really yeah, excited about yeah, that's it. Right. I'm I really enjoyed the last one a lot. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm especially excited about Rosacran and Hillary's presentation on how to infuse more magic into your art. As Ooh, yeah. That'll be really exciting too. That nice. Yeah, I'm really excited about Storm Fairy Wolf. I've been listening to his most recent book and really enjoying it. Satyr's Kiss, highly recommend. It's a, it's a good time, especially for the gay witches out there. It really shines. Well, let's also let folks know about what's going on on our Patreon. Yeah. So we are wrapping up the season of Who's in Bloom. My last episode is going to be on sunflowers for 2002. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Sunflowers Association, specifically in regards to Ukraine, and also Mm. have a prayer that we all don't die in a nuclear war. That's a I will back that one up. Let's not do that. Let's not have that be the reality. Yeah, I look forward to hearing more about sunflowers. I will be working on Goldenrod for my last Who's in Bloom of the season. And really, my life has just been all Goldenrod all the time for the last little bit. And I'm I'm ready to start talking about this journey that I've had. I've been making essential oils and drying it and harvesting it and waving it around and making crafts out of it and using it for decoration. And yeah, it's amazing. It's a great plan. It's kind of permeated your life right now. Every way. Yeah. Like I'm totally nose blind to it. I'm sure as I walk around, I just have a, I'm radiating a cloud of goldenrod smell. And Soledago is probably one of my favorite genus names of Mm, any plant mm. like that's a name i could see like hippies naming their kid (laughs) (laughs) oh i would i would want to meet those hippies for sure back to our patreon (laughs) you can join at the one dollar a month level and get extra content such as our mini episodes on flowers that we happen to be in love with at that moment and upcoming episodes on deity Yes, yes. Once we shift into the dark time of the year, we're going to be doing mini episodes on some of the deities that have been featured in our other Patreon level, which is the $5 a month sticker exchange. And the stickers are made by various artists, including myself and Ingu, as well as artists that we get to participate in our Science Witch Art Coven, including my friend Kalika, who has been doing this amazing series of all these anthro-Egyptian goddesses. Mm. which the Egyptians had something like 1,500 different gods that we at least still know about. And a lot of them were furries. And that is really well 
exemplified in her style. And one of the things that we are going to be putting together is a coloring book, which will be available, of course, to our Patreon supporters. And then later on, hopefully in their Etsy store, as well as at various different cons and magical shops that will carry it. And each of the pages for these different goddesses will have a little bit more information that we will be delving into during this next series of audio explorations into different gods and goddesses. And I had a dream about Hecate, the frog goddess that had. So I think she is calling to me and I need to explore that a little deeper. So yeah, yeah, get to know her. She sounds she sounds absolutely lovely. Goddess of fertility and resurrection and frogs. Frogs, which are yeah. Always awesome frogs. So cool. And then why don't you tell folks what they have to look forward to with the Science Witch Coven, which is our highest level of support. And we're really trying to drum up more supporters at this level so we can really give ourselves more time and freedom to put out more amazing content. Yeah. So at that level, I am putting together my little quarterly care package, including a good bit of that Sully Doggo we were just talking about and other local foraged products. Today I harvested a bunch of wild betony that I'm looking forward to playing with. I have some peach leaf that I'll be harvesting and blending up some tasty and hopefully helpful teas. And it's exciting because our Patreon supporters kind of get to be the test subjects for the goat and thistle line of herbal products <laughs> that you're developing. And they get this at a much lower price than what we retail. So that is one of the special things about our science witch coven level. And we do other perks. We read tarot. We will give oh, you a tarot nice. reading because we both love to read tarot, but we're really bad at monetizing it in a way that would make us a lot of money. So... It is really enjoyable, though. Yeah, I love reading tarot. I absolutely reading love reading tarot. And then as sort of an extra perk this month, if you would like us to look at your chart, no guarantees that we will get as in-depth as, say, in a professional astrologer, but we can kind of give you some things to, like, think about if you join us at that level. And also that you can also check out some of our other perks, including a Dungeons and Dragons game that we are running. We're coming into, I think, our fifth session now, and it's been actually a lot of fun. We're doing it over the virtual tabletop. My spouse mentioned in the episode about Dungeons and Dragons. So we have all kinds of interesting things happening over at our Patreon, which is sort of like a container for all of our ADHD interests that we are incorporating into the project that is the podcast. And then one of the other things that I wanted to kind of announce on the podcast is the beginnings of what I am feeling is a book (laughs) is coming out of this podcast. And I actually just quit my corporate job. So I have more Uh time and space to dedicate to some of the things that are much more in alignment with what I want to be doing with my life, including this podcast. And I want to start thinking about how a book would take shape as Mm -hmm. we continue to come up with all of this really interesting ideas about how science and witchcraft intersect and interact. Of course, our Samhain episode, which I teased in our last Wild Witches episode on the future frontiers of entheogens, is going to be on epigenetics and ancestral healing. And this is a topic that has just been blowing my mind how profound it is Mm. and Mm -hmm. how much applicability it has in our very present moment. So of course, we're going to go into more detail about that, but that will definitely has helped me kind of start thinking about how we could together come up with a book from the Science Witch Podcast. So stay tuned for that. If you want to come and support us, please check out our Patreon as well as we have a Ko-fi if you want to make a one-time donation. Our Etsy store has all of our cool stickers that we've done so far in stock. And the other ways that you can support us is to rate and review us on the platform that you're listening to. If you leave us a review and you send it to us, we'll send you a sticker for free because we just want to say thank you. Free stickers of your choice, too. And we have, I think we're up to 12 stickers now. We're we're getting yeah. quite, quite a few. I've had to, like, organize them in a little, like 
special folder system so I Aww. can make sure I have them on hand when I mail them out when people order them, which has been really cool. Oh, yeah, okay. I can't wait to get my pan sticker. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, wait, which is I am sending to the printer today. I just had to oh. finish one little touch and then awesome. it's, yeah, and then I would like my intention with the pan stickers is to put them randomly all kinds of places that you'd like a restroom bathroom or <laughs> anywhere you think pan would be so oh, would we put pan at the disco oh of course at the disco I of like, course that that is like, that like the bathroom at the disco yes exactly sure. exactly hey place. you know one thing that one of our patrons I think suggested was that we do an episode on astrology. Yes, that would be a good idea. Why don't we get into that? Whoa, awesome. So <laughs> great segue. Thank you. <laughs> but it was a it was a, a patron suggestion. Patreon. Yes, um, yes. That's another yeah, reason yeah, to join our sure. Patreon. You can ask us things and what you would like to see us elaborate on. And so today we are going to be talking about astrology. And since this is the second time we've talked about astrology. This is our Astrology 202 episode. So the prerequisite for this episode is that you listen to Astrology 101, in which case I actually, because I taught this class back in December for our Wild Witches Year in a Day online class that we did in 2021 as sort of our offering to the community during the pandemic. I talked about sort of the basics of astrology, talked about the 12 signs, talked about how to generate your birth chart, how the houses work. And I touched very briefly on some of the more advanced aspects, like aspects and mm -hmm we wanted to kind of go a little bit more in depth together because we're both giant astrology nerds true long true. time long time astrology nerds and why we're not professional astrologers because there's just been so many other things in our lives that have kept us from taking a more focused path in astrology i would say that our collective knowledge is pretty extensive at this point so but there's always more to learn and that's the great thing mm -hmm. about astrology is that astrology yeah. once you start getting into like the super high levels of especially with some of the new astrology like with the asteroids and thinking about some of these questions with how human civilization is represented through this 5,000 year plus history of continually looking up at the sky and finding yeah. meaning in first in our uh, societies, but now personal astrology is much more of the way we practice as human beings astrology, mm -hmm. which I find is, is also fascinating. So first off, let's talk about just to kind of bring everybody back to a starting place in order to know where mm. your aspects are and thus where your houses are, you need to know your full birth chart. Now to get your full birth chart is very easy in 2022 because there are sites like Cafe Astrology where mm -hmm. you type in your exact time of birth and where you were born and it instantly generates a chart. And this is a, something that we as people in the 21st century get to enjoy in a way that I feel astrologers of previous ages prior to computers would feel oh, oh, <laughs> very cheated. <laughs> oh, I hope not. I hope they would recognize that we're only where we are because of them. Like they right, kept it's this, true. It's true. They, they are this knowledge the, the foundation. And now it's accessible in a way that they could they never imagined. they never could have imagined they yes. never could have imagined yes yeah. and one of the foundational texts that we are referencing in this episode is a book that we both were given when we were fairly young called the oh wow only. you even got the old one with the old typeset <laughs> oh wow <laughs> that's some 1980s typeset we'll have to it put a picture is. of that yeah <laughs> and the like very yonic map on the front and, yeah that is mm. a yonic uh, astrological <laughs> wheel right there so so um, what is this book that we oh, are so talking this, about this book is the only astrology book you'll ever need and i don't know what do you think it What's was your... published in 1982 mm. by the author joanne martine wolfel and the interesting thing about this book is that 
this was at that point a very useful book. I don't know if it was mm-hmm. the only book by any means that you would ever need, but it has all of the charts that you would yeah. need to look up using the date and the time. The way that rising signs were calculated at that point is pretty intense. Like mm-hmm. that took some some serious like math and then having to use geometry in order to draw in what sort of configuration the planets were because that's how you got aspect. And yeah. of course now algorithms generate this instantly. But when you got your birth chart prior to computers, it took a long time to calculate cast a chart. It was literally casting this giant magical spell that took that exact snapshot of where the planets and stars were when the exact moment you were born. So I just kind of wanted to bring that into context, especially for a lot of our Gen Z astrologers out there who may not quite ever understand what looking up moon Mm -hmm. charts would entail Mm -hmm. because i feel like when you and i were first getting interested in astrology now mind you we were we were pretty young Mm -hmm. we had a family friend that was like my mother's adopted mother who was all an astrologer and she was such an incredible woman And she was the one who did our charts, our birth Mm -hmm. charts back in the, I think, early 90s when it was still very much like Mm. you had to do this long, intense process in order to generate the birth chart of somebody. It wasn't a frivolous activity. Like it definitely took effort and energy. Yeah. Miss Happy gave me my full birth chart in... Right around the year 2000. Oh, okay. Oh, yes, um, that's right. And so by then, there were computer programs. There were computer to, programs. To print out, but you still, I mean, she had to like seek out an astrologer, probably using the phone book. Yes. Um, yeah, so she like got this service for me. I imagine it was a thing compared to now, but it's been something I've carried around with me since I was 18 years old. And that's a lot of carrying around for anybody that doesn't (laughs) actually know the personal history. That's a lot of carrying around. That's accurate. Yeah. That was a real like powerful insight for you to have. Mm -hmm. Oh, so early on, you know, now a lot more people know their birth chart thanks to the availability of it in modern time. But before that was most people only really knew their sun sign and that's sort of been Mm -hmm. pop astrology is having to do with your sun sign and well yeah your sun sign is important the time of year you're born does have some impact on what your sort of expression of humaning is Mm -hmm. but also there's just so much more depth and nuance that sun signs just cannot encapsulate and so i've gotten to be where one of those people that scoffs at times when there's judgments made on people like i think somebody had tried to post on one of the poly communities i was on about how they don't date scorpios and there was like Uh, six of us astrology bitches that that were like (laughs) no that is not how you use astrology you do not decide you're not going to date an entire sign quote unquote based on sun signs right (laughs) let me tell you how astrology works so (laughs) getting back to how astrology works how does astrology work so we went over planets and signs so if you want a refresher on that you can just listen to the episode or you can look it up. I mean, it's very, very widely information that is accessible. But one of the things we wanted to talk about before we got off this topic of like houses and planets and signs was you actually use different house systems. And I I wanted Mm -hmm. you to mention that and and talk a little bit about that. These are options. Yeah. So there are different widely used or recognized house systems. And Some of the astrologers that I follow and pay a lot of attention to, like Tani Nicholas, they use what's called whole house system. And in the whole house system, which is actually what my carry along since 18 used. So I guess this is the first system I was really introduced to. In this system, where your ascendant is, starts the first house and every sign has its own house. So there's a perfect correspondence between- And each and each slice of that pie, I believe is 15 degrees. 
It's so it, it's continually 15 degrees all the way around. Right. And so it's just like very clearly divided up. And then more recently, I've really gotten into using the Placidus system. And in the Placidus system, it's a lot more complicated. Different houses don't necessarily line up with different signs. For example, my second house crosses over between Pisces and Aries. Hmm. And so it's only got a little bit of Pisces even in the sign, but because it starts there, my second house is ruled by Pisces. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of different relationships between the different signs and the houses. Planets and other aspects can be in the same sign, but different houses or the same house, but different signs. And so it sort of complicates all of their relationships a little bit. Like I have, and a it's calculated differently. It's the math, the math calculation of the houses is different. So not right. all houses are exact 15 degrees, but again, astrology is math. And if you really, really want to dig into that, there is some really cool information, but the algorithm does all that for you. Right. You just click a button. And the the interesting thing is that you you say you get different information depending on. Right. Right. So yeah, there, I think for the whole house system, for me, that seems more like what would be called mundane astrology, which is related more to worldly events and the external and things that are going on in the world. And for me, Placidus has more to do with what I see as the psychological or personal development or interpersonal aspect of the way that I use astrology. So it's just sort of a process of how I look at it. I usually just go with Placidus unless it's like a major aspect that's happening or if it's a big aspect with outer planets because those have more to do with societal stuff. Right. So like the Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions that we've been having in different aspects, I would be more likely to look to whole house for, for that kind of information. Again, this is just how we use astrology. Astrology oh, yeah, no, is this a is tool. My totally idiosyncratic. Right, method. right. Um, That's the thing about astrology that I want to ground people back that are getting a little overwhelmed. Like astrology can be as complex as you want to make it, or you don't have to. Like definitely different levels and layers to understanding. And you use what is useful and don't worry about the rest of it. I know a lot of people who really stress out about Mercury retrograde. This is not about making you a miserable person. Like the stars aren't here to just make you unhappy and make horrible things happen to you. That's not what astrology is about. Astrology is about understanding these patterns and cycles through the lens of the cycles of the planets and the the planetary bodies, including the moon and the sun applying that in ways that is useful to your life. So in this instance with Mercury retrograde, Mercury retrograde is a time when there's more chaos happening with different types of communication. Mm -hmm. And perhaps this is all psychosomatic or perhaps the psychosomatic is creating the reality. Who knows? There's the as above, so below concepts Mm -hmm. and paradox that is the occult studies. But either way it goes, if shit's all fucking up in your life, that's not Mercury's fault. That's something you need to look at and realize and think about it. Do your shadow work. Don't blame Mercury for your bullshit. But when it it comes to how to use Mercury retrograde effectively, it's a time of reflection. It's a type of revision. It's a type of, if you're signing a contract, make extra sure that it says what you expect it to say. And Mm -hmm. that might mean boring yourself and forcing yourself to read something a little more than you'd want to normally, but you'll be glad you did. I think Mercury retrograde takes on a particular type of frantic energy in our culture, Mm -hmm. right? Because so much is information-based. We are in the information age where many of us are totally dependent on machines and being able to cross over different modes of communication with large amounts of people. And yeah, I think in that context and just having to keep up with a hundred million passwords as like one example, the proliferation of 
extra security steps and constantly clicking that you're not a robot and proving you're not a robot. What takes on importance in any moment has to do with your social context right? as well. And you can contextualize yeah. that uh, with astrology. Right. Because right. there are larger patterns. And this is something, before we get into the whole aspects thing in personal astrology, I did want to touch on was just in defense of astrology, which I mm-hmm. happen to get in occasional arguments who insist that astrology is complete bullshit. In defense of astrology, this is a science that has been passed down. And it is a science because the astrological charts go back thousands and thousands of years. There was, of course, a time when astronomy and astrology were the same thing. Mm -hmm. And the reason astronomy and astrology were the same thing was because ancient people had to know how to track the passage of time. They didn't have something to just keep time and they could glance at in a moment and remind, oh yeah, shit, it's almost three o'clock. They didn't have anything like that. Their entire perception and society was based off of watching these patterns of the stars moving in the sky and understanding and contextualizing their entire societies based on that. And so from these different ways and patterns, you can start to see, again, as above, so below, these reciprocal cycles Mm -hmm. throughout human history. And I know I've brought this up a lot because it's become such one of the big things in astrology right now is contextualizing the Pluto return of the United States of America. Pluto is a planet that in modern astrology is the ruler of Scorpio. It is a planet that rules the eighth house, which is the house of shame, secrets, it is the death, sex, death, other sex. people's money, scandal, mm-hmm. all of these deep issues that Pluto rules. And in our current moment of history here in these United States of America, so-called, we are experiencing one of the stupidest threats to our democracy that I think could ever have been generated and only have been American in many ways. We are really having to face the legacy of white supremacy and Mm -hmm. that has caused so much trauma and suffering among so many people in this country and how it is being tried to be suppressed in many ways by people who want to keep the status quo and that this is a reckoning that is costing us a great deal of danger to our fragile idea of what it is to be a democracy. But then at the same time, it's such an important thing for us to be a democracy in this world. Pluto or to, problems. At least to become a democracy, right? Yes. Like we've never been a democracy. A true democracy. That is true. That is like, true. We are a representative. But even that, I mean, it's been so shaped by race and class primarily right. and gender. And yes. yeah, I think, I think a more possibly a more hopeful way of thinking about our Pluto return is it's when we can actually become a democracy. Yeah. Like we've had this idea of ourselves as a democracy for a few hundred years, but we've never been that. And we've had pushes to make us more that at different parts in our history, and they've always been quashed. So maybe the Pluto return is a time for the unquashing When you take the lens and add the extra context of some of these astrological cycles that were tracked and considered to be very important, including when certain planets aspected each other, such as the the Jupiter and Saturn conjunction, which all of the fans of Twin Hmm. Peaks will know is when the doorway to the Red Room opens. That's right. And that happened happened recently. Yes, yes, that happened recently. That happened in 2020, actually. What happened on February 2nd of 2022? So that's That's... when it came into the exact degree that it was in when they signed the... So that was our exact exact moment of our Pluto return. When Pluto went to the exact point in the sky that it was at when... They they signed signed the Declaration of Independence. It's at that exact degree of Pluto. Right. right? And that about every 250 years. Right. It takes, I think almost 29 years to go through a Mm. single sign this isn't something that a human life encompasses like your saturn return your saturn return happens every 29.5 years and that is 
I have found to be one of the most poignant tools in astrology. And so mm-hmm. whenever I meet a young person and I'm like, watch out for your Saturn return, because my Saturn return kicked my ass. It was a mm-hmm. really, really rough time in my life. And yeah. I really wish I had had that added context of the Saturn return, because yeah. I think that would have really helped me contextualize how rough my Saturn return actually was. And, and now we have, we hopefully each have another one to look forward to. Right. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. Your second Saturn return gets to be a little easier. Hopefully if you are about to hit 30, you are in your Saturn return. And then I think 54 is your second Saturn right. return. More and more people are living to their third Saturn return, which happens mm. in your eighties. And then I'm sure we'll start seeing fourth Saturn returns in another couple of decades with the way that life extendancy. All right, (laughs) let's talk about aspect. Planets can only see each other when they are in particular geometric relationships to each other. I'm sorry, I'm reading this from Practical Astrology for Witches and Pagans, Using the Planets and the Stars for Effective Spellwork Rituals and Magical Work by Evo Dominguez Jr. And if you really want to use astrology in your craft, I mentioned this in Astrology 101. This book is really, really good. So in a sense, the planets can only see each other when they are in a particular geometric relationships to each other, but they do Mm -hmm. more than simply view each other. When planets are an aspect to each other, they are in a dynamic and energetic relationship to each other. That's why I like aspects to verbs when thinking of astrology as a symbolic language. Aspects Mm -hmm. are measured as angular distances in degrees and minutes between the planets in a chart. As a reminder, each sign is 30 degrees and the location of the planets is identified as a particular degree degree of a particular sign. For example, you could have Mars at 15 degrees Taurus in a chart. You could also have Jupiter at 15 degrees Scorpio in that same chart. Both these planets are the 15th degree, but they are not in the same place. They are actually opposite sides of the chart from each other. If we were to count the degrees of all the signs between them, it would be 180 degrees. And this is what we mean by angular distance. Basically, it's these special configurations that the planets take in the sky. And Mm -hmm. there's quite a lot of aspects if you want to get really, really in depth. But there's only five main ones that Mm -hmm. most people utilize. And that is, as you were saying, the opposition Mm -hmm. first, which is considered to be a challenging aspect. Now, challenging doesn't mean bad. That's also something to emphasize. So if you have a lot of challenging aspects to your chart, it's just more things to learn, I guess would be. Right. I mean, things won't come as easy in those aspects of your life. Right. They can be points of friction. That's how Tani Nicholas talks about it. They're points of friction versus the gifts that are, they flow together. Right. More harmoniously. More harmonious. My favorite astrologer, Jessica Lignato, when she looks at charts, she really keys in on aspects as much as she does anything where a sign or like a planet is in relation to what house or what sign. Like she Mm -hmm. really reads the aspects just about more than any other part of a chart because the aspects make such an important, they are the, absolute nuance to anyone's chart. We require a level of understanding of how everything fits together. It's like the whole entire tarot reading as opposed to just one card. And that's why it's really important to have this whole chart picture because then you can start looking at things. There's even ways to read charts that have ramifications for medical astrology, which is Mm. a whole thing. (laughs) And Lignato, of course, really cautions people against medical astrology because it quickly becomes something that can be misused. There's a lot of insight that you can just gain simply by looking at a lot of the aspects in your chart, the aspect of the opposition. So the big opposition I have, my moon is up in opposition to my ascendant. So in that oh. case, my moon is in Aquarius and my rising sign is Leo rising. That brings into the challenging aspect of something 
having to do with how I am perceived by the world and then my emotion. Mm -hmm. So it says here that I can be unhappily influenced by family or childhood or otherwise feel rather insecure about new beginnings and new situations. This is how astrology calls you the fuck out all the way out (laughs) from space. (laughs) People are like, well, of course, astrology sounds right because it just tells you good things about yourself. And I'm like, no, it does not. You have not actually studied astrology if you think it only says good things about you. There we go. So that is an opposition. As you can see, it is a challenging aspect, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily a quote unquote bad aspect. Right. And one of the things that I think is also really important there is going back to the idea that we're always co-creators, the astrology An astrologer I follow, Pam Gregory, likes to put it that astrology is like the written sheet music and the way that we play that sheet music is on us, right? And it's part of our own process and journey. Different aspects, just like different signs, different houses, they can manifest in a range of different ways. They're more like nodes of energy that tend to manifest in certain ways, but because they all influence each other and because so much of it has to do with the way that we interpret and transmute that energy. One aspect can have wildly different possibilities. The next aspect to talk about is one would actually be considered more quote unquote favorable, which Mm -hmm. is a conjunction. Mm -hmm. And conjunctions tend to be when the energies of the two planets that are conjunct are on top of each other. They're in the same degree in the same sign, or at least three degrees within the same degree as another planet. Oftentimes, Mercury and the sun will be conjunct in a lot of people's charts because they're so close to each other that they often right. are on the same degree whenever somebody... Oh, mine are not. Mine That's Mercury interesting. Sun. Yeah, they are about seven, 18 degrees away from each other. A interesting. More or less. I feel like conjunctions are not necessarily positive, but they're also not negative. Right. Like, they're more like a neutral addition or multiplication of certain energy. Jupiter, which when it is conjunct other aspects tends to just increase them, just like make them bigger. And it's often a positive thing. You kind of want Jupiter to be in aspect to things, but Jupiter in conjunction to Venus is, might be a lot more pleasant than Jupiter in conjunction with Mars or Jupiter in conjunction with Saturn. Oh, yeah. Like yes, Jupiter conjunct Saturn is not a happy time for a lot of people. For some people, it might be great. Let's talk about mm. squares too. Squares, so yeah. squares are one of the more quote unquote challenging aspects. And that's mm. when planets are within 90 degrees of each other. If somebody has a lot of squares in their aspect, it tends to mean that they have maybe a lot more challenges. One of the ways that you can look at squares in Mm -hmm. a way that is constructive is if you happen to have a lot of really challenging aspects is just an invitation to clear up some karma from previous lives if you believe in those systems or just be really mindful of where these challenges are and being aware of them. That is one of my more challenging aspects is that my moon is squaring Mars and my moon of course is emotions and Mm -hmm. Mars is aggressive tendency to have competition which I'm Mm -hmm. not a competitive person and Mm -hmm. then your opinion of it's sex but it's not loving sex it's like (laughs) (laughs) breakup sex power (laughs) yes BDSM sex I also have, did you say you have Mars squared your ascendant? Mars squared my moon. Oh, so I have Mars squared my ascendant and Mercury squared my ascendant and Mercury and Mars are conjunct. So I have Mercury and Mars melding together and both of them are square to my ascendant. How would you read that? Mercury, Mars conjunction, each one squared to someone's ascendant. So there's some sort of challenging aspect in the way that you express your Mercury and Mars energy to Mm. how other people see you and you present. Mm. 
that would be how I would read it. How it would be like actually interpreted is sort of one of those advanced levels of astrology that I'm still learning. So the other types of aspects that are often used are sextile and trine. And both of these are Mm. considered to be exalted placements or positive aspects. I actually have a lot of really nice aspects with Jupiter. So I'm hoping that means that my ideas for business ventures will take off. What is Jupiter's aspect there? So my Jupiter is sextile to Lilith, and it is trying to my midheaven. Lilith is sextile then to my midheaven. So Mm. sextile is... 60 degrees and then trine is 120 degrees and your trines are where things flow very easily and the rule of three has a lot of power and so when the planets are in that sort of holy trine as they call them that's where a lot of things Mm. flow and things are easy so my venus is trying to my north node so the that was one of the things we wanted to talk about very briefly was nodes Mm -hmm. nodes are not actual planet they are places in the sky when you were born They're the head of the dragon is in the constellation Draco, the north node, right? And then the south node is the tail. Oh, they do call it the head and the tail of the dragon. Yes. Is is that because of Draco? Yeah, that is because of the constellation Draco. The north and the south nodes, they tend to be read and interpreted in regards to past lives, I do believe. Often. Yeah, so the south node can represent energies and experiences from past lives that are influencing you. And there are often things that you're like, I got that. I learned that lesson, but it's a strength that I can draw on, but it can pull us into repeating old patterns. But it doesn't necessarily have to reference past lives. If people don't see that as relevant, then it's often read as the lessons that we pick up in childhood. The things mm-hmm. that we that we experience in childhood that we can draw on, but ultimately move beyond as we go to our North Node. And our North Node is the future. It's what we should be working on. And there are some major schools of thought, and I think Vedic astrology in general, and then other schools of thought within Western <laughs> astrology that see your North and South Node as the most important part of, of your, your chart. chart like everything else is just a footnote to the North and South node. And if you fully understand your North and South node, everything else falls into place. And so they really focus on that. And so in this case, what it says with the trine between Venus and the North node is that this aspect indicates diplomacy and attractiveness. There's a certain luck in meeting others at the right times. There is skill in harmonizing and much desire to cooperate rather than compete. Oh, wonderful. Wait, what what aspect was that? That was Venus trying to my north node. Mm. And my north node is, it's in the only thing in my, oh, my north node is in Gemini. That's really interesting because I don't have anything else in Gemini. And then Gemini is in the 11th house for me. My north node is also in Gemini. No, it's, it's it's in my ninth house. Wait, yes, ninth house. I apologize. It's in my ninth house. So that would oh. be the house of Sagittarius. So the house of Sagittarius is in my, my north node is in that. I might oh, take your north a, node is in Sagittarius. My No, my node, south node is in Sagittarius. My north okay. node is in Gemini. Okay. Well, our north and south nodes are the same. Then. So north and south nodes are always opposite each other. Right. Important thing to point out there. So yeah, we both have our North Node in Gemini and our South Node in Sagittarius. Interesting. That indicates from either an earlier age or a past life scenario that we had devoted ourselves to ideas, to communities, to organizations, to like vision and humanitarianism. And in this life, we do a podcast together. And in this life, we do a podcast together. And our mission with Gemini is communication. Specifically, it's being able to communicate things to people. So, yeah. 
yeah, Gemini is, is the twins. We're kind yes. of twin-like as well. Yes. We're sort of embodying that archetype a little bit and we're communicating over long distance about all sorts of, Gemini is mutable, right? And so it's all sorts of sporadic topics and little tangents. In terms of trines, I have a trine between Venus and my ascendant, and also a trine between the moon and my ascendant. So this makes me really femme. <laughs> I think it makes me more femme than I would be otherwise, that my ascendant is trining both Venus and the moon. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Abs that's accurate. And I, I, I never know accurate. how femme I am until I like see a picture of myself or hear myself recorded and I'm like oh I'm so much more mask in my head but I, I like both sides I like both sides or all so I like the spectrums and the beyond spectrums and all of right them. and that's one of the great things about astrology is that it has the capacity to expand and develop and evolve with the times and the people and mm -hmm. I guess it's sort of closing out this fairly rambly and <laughs> long astrology podcast I wanted to bring up the whole idea that astrology evolves with the people who practice it and it has become a tool of a lot more queer and neurodivergent people that started utilizing it in a way to, as well as decolonizing it, a lot of POC astrologers use it as a way to decolonize some of these ideas about astrology and making it more widely applicable to people from marginalized identities. And that's one of the things I've, I've really enjoyed about this new phase of astrology is that mm -hmm. it has become something that informs the inquiry into us discovering our authentic selves and using yeah. it as a way to empower ourselves in our queerness and individuality and also just having this shared language of when you walk up to some random person on the street and they say oh you know I'm a Gemini so that makes total sense to me and like why you're like doing a million things and you're talking on your phone and you're <laughs> doing a bunch of caffeine and, and you have this sort of energy. That is a beautiful thing. And that's something I really enjoy about astrology that transcends, I think, even some of the other ways that we categorize people that in a lot of ways are just as superficial, like race and gender, that astrology can be another way to just help inform the way that we move in the world. And I feel like in a way it has a much more parity and way of humanizing us to each other and keeping in mind that no one is just one sign the complexity of people when you get into the nuances of the chart is as we I keep referencing that meme that astrology is the stars beating your ass from that far away because it's true you know like when you really dig into your chart you're like damn stars yeah I think that that actually two things that I would want to touch on before we close out is yeah. you know this big theme that we've been talking about how complex astrology is and how it took people doing this these charts by hand until very recently. And then we got computers and now we have the internet and going forward with artificial intelligence, I'm going to be really, really interested in what we learn about astrology. I think even at the point where we all have our charts very easily accessible, there's so much data to play with in any one chart. And we haven't even talked about transits and progressions and all of the things we haven't even really talked about like the Kuiper belt objects or the possibilities that James Webb and these super telescopes really open up for what we know about the cosmos because like you know we've been talking about the outer planets but for most of astrology's history they didn't even know the outer planets were there it was the seven uh, main planets it was the seven main planets right and so you know Pluto wasn't added in until what was it, the 1950s? The 1950s, yeah, in astrology. Yeah, right. It was only discovered in 1930, and so it was added in a little bit after that. So, yeah, I think that the age of Aquarius 
is going to help us to understand astrology in like some really radically new ways. Absolutely. Uh, with technological change and just how widespread it's become and how many people have gravitated toward it. And then on gender, yeah, you know, we, you and I had talked earlier about our critique of this, the only astrology book you'll ever need from the 1980s with the very Yonic symbol on the front. And to be fair, she is also the author of Sexual Astrology. And the first bullet point is, what is the sexual potential of your sign, even on the only astrology book you'll ever read? So that's kind of where her head was back in the 80s. We poke fun, and I think rightly so, at the old astrology of like, ooh, you're a Gemini man, and you want to get with a Venus, yeah, or whatever. But reading through some of it through a queer lens, one of the ways that I've approached it is, you know, we all have these signs, all of the signs. Everyone right. has masculine signs and feminine signs, and they're in these weird or not weird but like unique and shifting combinations of relationship to one another and that's like pretty queer and so instead of reading it necessarily as oh a woman with venus and cancer or something like that no matter what your gender happens to be that particular day you can think through the lens of femininity or masculinity and think about how if gender is something that you find useful in thinking about about yourself right that's not necessarily the case for everyone but if people do then thinking through how there are more masculine aspects in any given moment and there are more feminine aspects in any given moment might be manifesting themselves and interacting like you can also approach the astrology that way and yeah a lot of queer people are astrologers and that there's a lot of really good work being done. Absolutely. That. My favorite astrologer is queer. So. Oh, mine too. Who's <laughs> your favorite astrologer? Uh, Jessica Lignato. Mm. Yes. And mine she, is Tony Nicholas. Right. Which we'll put in the show notes for anybody who is interested, but we should probably wrap this up, but we could definitely do another episode about astrology. So we could go into some of those other aspects. We can, this will be can a just topic. Gemini it up. Just, just <laughs> yeah. lean into our North node. And so hard for y'all. Yep. yep. Pet my kitty and talk about stars. I will always be happy to do that. And especially awesome. if other folks are enjoying us doing this. Hopefully so. so. Yes. yes. If you would like to find us on social media, you can check us out at Science Witch Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Science Witch Pod on Twitter. And if you would like to send us an email, you can reach us at questions at sciencewitchpodcast.com. Check out the webpage if you want the show notes as well as the transcripts. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Science Witch Podcast. And until next time, live long and prosper. And blessed be.